This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. You're listening to Infirmary Media. Did you hear that? Infirmary Media. Infirmary complete. Stretch your cash and treat your stash with top shelf beard care products from Stashco. Stashco provides the highest quality ingredients for beard oils, balms, creams, wax, and beard care accessories. At Stashco, it's all about top of the line products at competitive prices. And if you're not as suave and satisfied as Selleck after using Stashco products, don't sweat the stash. All products are backed with a 30 day, 100% money back guarantee. Don't let your grooming look like a fiasco. Tame that mane with products from Stash Co. Visit StashCompany.com now. That's S-T-A-C-H-E Company.com. Use the code POOP for 25% off orders over $35. Start. Poop culture. Yeah, yeah, poop culture. Poop, 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 poop culture. Yeah, it's the poop culture. Poop, poop culture. People engage, it's time for jewel of the decades. The Matrix of Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jewel of the decade. Who popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jewel of the decades. In the words of the immortal King of Kush, Mark James, greetings, pals and gals, and welcome back into the stalls for another episode of the critically acclaimed Poop Culture Podcast. Filling in for Mark James, who is out of commission and under the weather this week, I am the bruiser of Bristol himself, Bobby Craft, and with me this week, as always, the facilitator of feces himself, Mr. Rick Mancrush. And joining us as guest host for this week's episode is a man who always knows the price for flight from the Video Rangers podcast, Mike Ranger. And also joining us this week, one half of the host duo for the latest show to join the Poop Culture Extended Universe from Selling Out. Please welcome to the Crapsting Couch, Nate Gorzinski. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you? You missed one. You missed the honorable. I wanted to leave that one to you. Okay. All right. So there's a whole story to this and we'll we'll get to that right here. We'll make it quick. So we have the Honorable John Cross from the After Movie Diner on the show with us as the judge today. And it's not because Mike screwed up last month's Duel of the Decades. Because after the show, as everybody knows, he broke our undefeated streak by giving the 90s the win. However, after Mike listened back to the episode, sends me a message. What did you say, Mike? I was ashamed of myself. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, as soon as... The Honorable John Cross came on the show. What did John Cross say? <laughs> he said, you're a bitch. <laughs> I said, yeah, I said, you're a, you're a shitty judge. Good guy, but a shitty judge. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that, that, that one didn't go too well. I was listening to that episode, and I was like, you're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. Um, it was, yeah, it was not good. But no. you will redeem yourself tonight. Uh, or maybe I'll just punish you. And uh, side on the other team. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. So this is where we're going. Uh, unfortunately, Mark James is under the weather. Uh, he's got some problems going on physically, and he was going to try to make this show and 
he was just in too much pain to do it. So unfortunately, Mark, here's your shout out, but we're going to switch teams up a little bit and it's going to be Mike Ranger and myself as the mega powers versus Bo Beecraft and Nate as Helen Mirren's undergarments. That is uh, correct. All right. And uh, we're without further ado, let me just uh, go over the rules real quick. So basically, Duel of Decades, this Duel of Decades, and the judge has no idea about these years yet, so he's in the dark. We're doing today June 1988 versus June 1998, and it's going to be five rounds. We got movies, music, TV, top news, and hot products. First three rounds are a point apiece. Last two rounds are two points apiece, and after last week's debacle or last month's debacle what we decided to do is if it happens to come down to the last round and john cross can uh pick one side or the other we're gonna take it to a twitter poll does that sound fair that's fine that's fine i was gonna make you perform various uh disgusting activities for me on the webcam but (laughs) twitter poll sounds much much better play your cards we'll see how it rolls we'll see how it rolls maybe we go that route um before we get started, uh, Mike, can you do the honorable? Well, you're not honorable anymore. You're just Mike Ranger. Yeah. Can mm-hmm. you just do the uh, the VHS uh, cassette cover flip with the heads or tails <laughs> to see who goes first? What do you got back there? You got Northern Exposure on VHS first season? No, I've only got the second season. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got on uh, LaserDisc? Since <laughs> License to Drive. <laughs> I think today we'll go with uh, the Hulk Hogan classic, No Holds Barred. Mm. Yeah. All right, Nate, since you're new, mm-hmm. you get to call the flip in the air. Obviously, the front of the box with Hulk Hogan with his arms up is heads. Tails would be the back of the box. All right. What am I calling? I'm going to call uh, I'm gonna call Tails. All right. Do it, Mike. Ted's. All right. So we take the board first. What do you think we should go with, Mike? We got to go uh, pretty. Weak Let's go with our our worst category. Uh, all right, you pick one. I'll let you uh, do the honors. They're all pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> let's. Uh, why not start out with? Uh, let's start out with hot products. Yeah. Right? All right. In a year that produced great toys like the Baby Grows, the Pee Wee Herman doll, the Barbie Power Wheel Corvette, perhaps the greatest uh, of them all was the footnote. The floor keyboard that you can play with your feet that you saw in Big. Only this is a five-foot miniature version that didn't work for shit, and me and my brothers hated it. (laughs) Did you guys play Heart and Soul, or did you try? No, apparently I'm supposed to be able to play country songs. That that, that was in the advertising. (laughs) Well, I was thinking, like, did you get the uh, accompanying videotape that had Robert Loggia walking you through how to play different uh, standards? I didn't, but it did come with a a mic and uh, a speaker. So I can be my own music video. <laughs> you would definitely learn more oh. if Robert Lozier was like motivationally <laughs> screaming at you. Oh, that yeah. would definitely work. I would definitely learn more music that way. You would need Lozier from over the top, though. Not so much Lozier from Big, because he was too nice of a guy. Yeah, or Lozier from Armed and Dangerous. <laughs> All right. Or Scarface. He was slimy in Scarface. He could yeah, do that definitely. one, too. All right. So that's where we're starting with this one. And hint, hint, that's a uh, 1988 Big... Keyboard just throwing oh, fuck <laughs> off, Martin. <laughs> uh, my hot product, uh, probably the best side scrolling beat em up game of all time, in my opinion, 
and that would be Double Dragon. The uh, North American release for this game was June of 1988. Everybody had a copy of this game. It retailed for $39.99 at the time, which is $85 in 2018, so it's a little pricey. But even people that didn't have video game systems, they still had Double Dragon because they played it in the arcade. And it even had like a movie adaptation with uh, Scott Wolf and uh, Mark Damascus was in that shit. Uh, it came out years later in 94. Robert Patrick, I think, as well. Robert Patrick was also in that. You're correct. So, see, the judges are already kind of agreeing. But uh, in uh, 1988, you know, children of all ages were trying to help the Lee brothers to find. Uh, I don't even know which one's girlfriend was kidnapped, but one of their girlfriends was beaten, kidnapped. So, uh, you know, you're you're walking down the street and you got to navigate through like a savage entourage of like chicks with whips, punk rockers with knives or like thugs and baseball bats. There was huge muscle heads that look like Robert Frank trying to kick your ass. I don't know. I think and that's probably where professional wrestlers got the idea to throw garbage cans at people. I think it all started with Double Dragon. So it was pretty significant pop culturally, not just for the video game. But for professional wrestling, what would you say about that, Bo? I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know how hard it is to find a product that dropped in June of 1998. Like, I, oh, I you're me. I feel like I need to go back to Sears before they close and rummage through the archives, see if I can find a catalog laying around there somewhere that's got some of the hot products of June 88. It's it's tough. There And there were a lot of products. And one of the things you come across a lot of the times is you're off yep. by a couple weeks. Like we just missed having Photoshop was just released. Yeah. Their first 200 copies of Photoshop went out, which would have been enormous. And we missed that. But those are the two products that we had to go for for June 1988. So what do you have, Helen Mirren? I'm going to defer to Nate first. Well, <laughs> I was having the same issue uh, trying to find specifically June. Um, the closest I could find that was a culturally relevant um item uh was uh was the furby which ended up getting uh really popularized towards christmas obviously with all the the um chaos that you saw on the with the that was like the first one i could remember of of people being trampled and killed and and i don't know if it was that or the tickle me elmo but uh but that that's that's what i'm going for was the furby i i I wish i could tell you specifically but when i looked up june 1998 the, that was what popped up. I so I'm sticking with that. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Damn, that's. A, I will <laughs> say that's a good one. Fuck yeah, Furby's a big deal. Hairless Furby didn't sell as well oh, though. No, I don't know if it, it was an aesthetic it thing or you know. Yeah, just not as cuddly. I don't know. It's 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 kind of creepy. It's like a hairless <laughs> cat. It 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 reminds me of something soft and cuddly, but something about it just creeps me out, man. I don't know. But uh, Damn. yeah, I didn't even Furby. know there were hairless Furbies. Is that just something you're? Oh uh, no! Get on, get on YouTube <laughs> and look that shit up. It's terrifying. Oh, Jesus. Wow, now, man. what uh, do you have any of the numbers for that? Because they're probably fucking staggering. Um, I don't. Unfortunately, like I said, I was having so much trouble. Uh, you talking numbers as far as sales and yeah, um, like <clears throat> how much did that even retail for? Do you have that? Um. The Furby, um, I'm sorry, not offhand, man. We're going to get them on preparedness. Yeah. Judge has to dock a point. Remember when yeah, everybody thought that me. their Furbies were going to be like retirement money? Yeah, and they were buying yeah. like five Beanie babies are yeah, now. Yeah. It's crazy what's taped the course. It's crazy the Beanie Babies did, but Furbies didn't. Um, and Boglins tried to make a comeback, which was my personal favorite. I like um, those. And they did briefly, but I don't think Boglins are worth anything either. 
Right. Okay, yeah. just just quickly as a little aside here, I know I probably already got the point, Doc, but um, Furbies originally retailed for about $35 upon release, but they sold so well that by the time Christmas rolled around, uh, the demand drove the resale price up over $100 Ooh. and sometimes as high as several hundred dollars. So supply and demand, folks, and then the, obviously the supply ran out uh, to to the point where people were willing to kill each other over these Do some pretty despicable things in a Kmart restroom. Yeah, man. <laughs> With your food. <laughs> yeah. All right, so what do, what do you have, Bo? That's a that's a Man, fucking I ran into the one. same problem. It's hard to find specific products that were released by date, so uh, go ahead and knock the point off if you got to, but these are some of the most popular toys from at least 1998, at least the year. The the one that I saw that kind of stood out Oh, you're dropping the entire year? No, I'm not year? dropping the entire year. I'm trying to... I, okay, I googled June 98, and this is what came up. So I don't know if it's accurate or not. But I'm going to go with the um, uh, the the Nickelodeon AM FM CD Blast Box. <laughs> which... Oh, well, at least you had one shit one to tie yeah, up with well, the Well, you know. Uh, I had this, though. And a lot of other kids that I knew had this. This was like the thing when I was... A, so I would have been 10 years old in 1998. So every kid that I knew had this thing. So, of course, I had to have one in order to be, you know, not just a fat kid, but also a cool fat kid. CD player, AM, FM stereo receiver, two four-inch speakers. So this thing really put out some woof. Uh, LED track display, cutting-edge stuff, stereo headphone jack, so you could listen to quality. Damn. Uh, volume limit safety features, so mom and dad didn't have to listen to your uh, your shitty music at, at unreasonable levels. There was a governor on it. Antenna, fold-away handle. Uh, it also came with... Oh, my... It had but a fold-away wait, handle? There's more, Billy Mays. <laughs> it came with a free gaculator. You guys remember GAC? Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was GAC with a calculator in it. Uh, Dual-power calculator with eight-digit LCD display and a pair of Blast Pads Deluxe Stereo Headphones with adjustable green slime headbands, which is just peak Nickelodeon-ness in the 90s. You all yeah. have cancer. Retail price one hundred twenty nine dollars, which for back then is uh, that seems kind of pricey. No. Yeah. Yeah. For a fucking regular boombox, probably some yeah. loud colors. Get a on. Jensen and yeah. call it a day. Here's my honorable mention, though. Bash and brawl wrestlers. Twenty one inch, uh, twenty one inch tall soft figures. All the uh, like the WCW NWO guys. They say th- they were like the Bash and buddies. They were like. Uh, you know, WWF had Bash and Buddies. These were the Bash and Brawl wrestlers. So these were the WCW. I, I definitely would have led with that. <laughs> God damn it. I knew it. <laughs> Strike that from the record, Jerry. <laughs> well, off to a pretty uh, pretty typical start on my end. Uh, I I don't know. that. We'll see what... Uh, John, it's off yeah, to you. Well, it, I have to say, uh, gentlemen, it's a very difficult choice. Um None of them completely leap out of me. And I obviously have to also take into account the cultural significance uh, of such things. Um, also, uh, the guys have got a wonderful uh, name with Helen Mirren's undergarments. Uh, she is, of course, uh, from my fair and native land. However, um, I have to, and I'm a terrible judge because I've already forgotten the 80s guy's team name, but it doesn't matter. The Mega Powers. So the Mega Powers are going to take it, but they're going to take it only because I've seen a rise in 
uh, arcade games. There's like barcades are cropping up everywhere these days. The side-scrolling beat-em-up games are still hugely popular. Um, when I look at the uh, 10 great side-scrolling arcade uh, beat-em-ups online, uh, I can tell you that um, Double Dragon comes third. Uh, and in fact, the one that was my personal favorite back when I used to play uh, games, although I used to play it on a console, not an arcade, Golden Axe oh, nice. from 1989. Oh, yeah, uh, that was uh, that was number two on the list, uh, and then number one was Final Fight. But uh, uh, Double wow. Dragon, plus you got the Robert Patrick starring uh, movie, uh, and like I say, arcade games are now a huge collector item, whereas no one gives a shit about Furbies. So I'm going to go with the Mega Powers. <laughs> Sorry, Helen Mirren, I love you, but uh, I'm going to go with the Mega Powers on that one. Furbies let me down again. Man, if I had a nickel. Sweet. When you said Furby, I was like, fuck, here we go. Um, all right, so we control the board. Mike, do you want to go to news? I think. Oh, uh, yeah. I got a whole Not, whole lot of good news, yeah. some crazy fucking stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Mark. All right, ahead, uh, June 14th, a small wildfire starts in Montana. Yeah. All right. No, no, really. I mean, that happened, but that's not it. Uh, really, what happened was a NASA scientist, uh, James Henson, uh, testifies uh, to the Senate that global warming, man-made uh, global warming, has begun. So, wow. that's big news. That is pretty solid. The news is always tough because there are always shit that are way out of our sphere. On mine, I might need to bring some shit up because it's not like pop culture shit where I could just fucking spit it. And also, 20 years later, we're still debating that. Can can anyone like <laughs> believe that? 20 years later, we're still debating global warming. Well, that's third. Ours is 30, 30 years, years later, later, right? Yeah, oh, no, now I'm yeah, dating myself. Yeah, 30 incredible. Years old. Yeah. I think this was the start of uh, modern uh, liberalism. It's right here. It's, it's June 88. That's the start. Scientists started lying started with to, NASA. to us for the vast sums of money that scientists get paid to lie to us, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So mine's uh, it's pretty close to the same thing. June 13th, 1988. For the first time, a federal court finds a cigarette company liable in the death of a smoker. And they order them to pay $400,000 in damages to be paid to the widower. widower of the deceased Rose Cipollini. This is like a landmark defeat for the tobacco industry because for 40 years, they had hundreds of thousands of cases and they destroyed everybody because their pockets are so deep that they would, you know, people would take them to court and they would just run them out of court and they would always win. So the judgment, it happened in Newark, New Jersey, and it was against the Liggett Group. Uh, which makes like parliaments or some shit, like some Liggett. cigarettes I've never even fucking heard of, or Liggett's, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. But they, they also sued like uh, the other big guys too, but they got let go, probably because they had more money. But the uh, the six-member jury, they it was unanimous. They ruled for, uh, for Leggett that they breached the warranty, which was expressed in the advertisements before 1966 that said that the cigarettes were safe. And uh, what, what's interesting about this case that I found, and that's the reason I did it, was it went to appeals court for four fucking years because their pockets were so deep and they kept sending it back to court. And eventually they had to give that $400,000 back to Liggett Group. Uh, they reversed the whole thing. However, because this was the first time that this happened, this really raised awareness about cigarettes and how you know cigarettes are bad and the cigarette companies are hiding all this shit about the cigarettes. And since that point, and this is where I got to bring some shit up, they went through thousands of different lawsuits. And let's see, in 2000, Philip Morris had to pay $51.5 million 
to a California smoker that had inoperable lung cancer. So that all stemmed from that. And then in 2006, there was a class action lawsuit in Florida, the Florida Supreme Court, where 700,000 smokers and their families sued uh, the smoking companies. Mm. However, because there were so many, what happened was they ruled that I think it it ended up being like 8,000 smokers that they picked out of the 700,000. They said those 8,000 smokers were allowed to individually sue the tobacco companies. And by 2015, uh, like companies like RJ Reynolds, they had to like, you know, file all this different shit. And uh, the jury like ruled against them and they had to pay out like $300 million uh, to these 8,000 smokers. So it all stemmed from this one case because before that it was just a landslide. So it's a pretty big deal. And that was, I mean, it's not fancy news. It's not funny news, right. but that's some real deal shit that went on in uh, June of 88. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going with the wildfire. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. All right. Off to Helen Mirren in her undergarments. What do you think, Bo? You had. I'll go first. first. I got one that's uh, completely out of my comfort zone. Sports in the news. Oh, uh, June fourteenth, the Chicago Bulls win their sixth NBA title in eight years, defeating the Utah Jazz eighty-seven eighty-six in Game Six. This is also notable uh, because I watched Space Jam last night. But also, uh, Michael Jordan's last game as a Bull. So there's sports. Back to you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm I'm it's funny I thought about uh bringing that one up too, but I'm equally um uninterested or uninformed in sports. But um so to end this on a on another really high happy note, um my story has to do with um James Bird Jr. died uh, June 7th, 1998. He was an African-American man who was murdered by three white supremacists and So he said this should be happy. <laughs> Feel good story of 1998. Yeah. So um, on June 7th, Sean Allen Berry, Lawrence Russell Brewer, and John William King, all all these guys have the uh, typical three-name <laughs> Southern sort of white supremacist thing going on. Um, they, um, they dragged this man behind a pickup truck along an asphalt road. The reason that. this is an important story, other than the obvious loss of a life, is that... Um, it ended up being um, a big factor in um, this Hate Crimes Prevention Act. Uh, it was called the Matthew Shepard and James Bird Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act, um, which wasn't passed until October 22nd, 2009 by Barack Obama. But this was a, a big uh, a factor in that being passed. But um, yeah, this poor man was killed by a, by a couple... Uh, asshole white supremacists from texas and um and but as a result the laws were changed and um you know hopefully things have moved in a positive direction as a result but uh yeah so not to bring the room down but um but i guess it had Where a go, Nate? positive ending yeah you're saying that you're bringing the room down but that's presuming that none of us are white supremacists so <laughs> yeah i guess i don't know the room very well <laughs> microsoft released uh the first edition of windows 98 at the end of june in 1998 absolutely yeah <laughs> the worst operating Woof. system yeah, but it had paint <laughs> of the last like 30 years actually no me was probably worse than 98 but yeah, ah, good one i remember that story that was a fucked up story i remember when yeah. that happened yeah man 
But man, way to pull the heartstrings of uh, John Cross. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. another difficult go? round, I have to say. <laughs> um, only this time, it's a difficult round because I feel that at least three of the stories um, are still relevant. Three, two from 19, 1988, they're still both relevant. And the uh, obviously the uh, hate crime uh, story is still very relevant, sadly. Uh, it's still going on. Mm. However, d- <laughs> not being a sports guy, uh, that well, no, no, that's not true. I like ice hockey and I like baseball, but not being a, a Chicago Bulls Michael Jordan guy, although I have seen Space Jam more than once. Um, I'm not sure how like relevant <laughs> that story mm. still is today. Um, but it's very difficult because I kind of don't want to just always be 1980s the whole way through, <laughs> through the See, through the that's show. the trick. See, um, see, it's a yeah. you. And they had the wildfire yeah. story, so that was important. <laughs> you know. That was legitimately lit. You guys had the window story, yeah. uh, so I suppose that Ooh. tips it the other way. It's very difficult, guys. I would, I would love uh, to give it to Helen Mirren, but uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go with the mega powers again. Uh, right. Global yeah. warming and cigarette companies being taken down—that is still. Uh, they are. That's just big stories. It's just yeah. the b- b- very, very big stories, um, the and they're still relevant today. Oh, so uh, I got to give it to you guys, the uh, mega powers again. I'm so sorry. All right. Well, John, it's been a pleasure having you. We'll see you next time, buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, guys, I deliberate. I deliberated hard over that because you know we're still weirdly again, uh, twenty years later, still dealing with white supremacists. Like, what the fuck? Someone mm. give these guys a sweater and a nice cozy book and tell him to go fuck off i don't know but we're still so that that is still relevant but uh chicago chicago bulls man i'm, I'm coming up nothing Sorry. is that is that an english thing like to to politely tell someone to fu- i've never been politely told to fuck off like here's a here's a sweater well, I, and, a, and a book yeah but no, they say jumper off. they don't say yeah, sweater. I, I don't know i mean look we've tried punching them we've tried fighting them we we you know killed them in wars you know, we've told them it's wrong. We've shouted at them. We protest. Like, I don't know. I, I, I look. I'm all for punching Nazis in the face, kicking them in the groin, uh, setting fire to their asshole, whatever. <laughs> like, get rid of, no problem. But have we tried giving them some cake and saying shut up? Oh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's time to coddle them. It's got to be ice cream cake for them because most of them don't have teeth. <laughs> exactly. Something they can suck through a straw once the humidity gets up. I don't know. I don't know, you've just got to be very, very pathetic and sad to want to all march together because you think, I don't know, it's just right. very weird. Anyway. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Mike, I guess we go TV here. We're oh, up 2-0, yeah. right. so the pressure's kind of <sighs> off a little bit, so we'll just fucking, whatever, um, let's just do it. Do you, go uh, TV. Do you want me to go first? Uh, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to remember what yours was. Right, go ahead. Well, uh, Fuck it. anybody who was a fan of uh, wrestling in the 80s, specifically the WWF, will remember the Brother Love Show. This segment was uh, similar to uh, the Piper's Pit, and it debuted on June 19th in 1988 during an airing of the Wrestling Challenge, which was their B show. Uh, other, we mostly watched uh, WWF superstars. Um, the segment featured uh, a boasting preacher who preached to the world word of love. He said, I, I love, love you. you. <laughs> It is fucking red face paint or like sprayed on yeah. tan. Yeah, and he usually he hated like uh, all the good wrestlers, like Hulk Hogan or Macho Man. And he loved Ted DiBiase. So wait, so when did if he came in then? Maybe Bo knows this. Then when did the Undertaker? Well, Brother start? Love brought in the Undertaker initially. 
So everybody always uh, associates okay. Paul Bearer yeah. as, as the Undertaker's manager. What it was actually Brother Love that brought in Undertaker. Right. I want to say that was 1989. I'm Googling it. 1990. He was huge. the manager of the Undertaker. Uh, from 1990 to 1991, his real name was Bruce Pritchard. Yes, and he's got a uh, great podcast, by the way. You know, something sounds strange about hearing a British accent talking about <laughs> wrestling so you know, fluently. <laughs> it just doesn't compute. <laughs> All right, but, that's a that's a fucking solid one. And that again, when you're going back looking for these specific dates, I didn't even come across that. And the, the tough part, and just to tell the audience, now that it's June, your shows have ended. So it's not like we can give you any finales to anything. Right. They're done. All the shows ended in May. We're dealing with the weird summer shit. Maybe <laughs> like uh, America's Most Wanted. We even pitched around like having an episode about that. Yeah, dude, it was hard. I had to it's fucking tough. dig for that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. Found the shit by accident. All right. Let's see how this one goes because this is sports related. And it's uh, June 27th, 1988. We have the heavyweight title fight that at the time it was billed as a fight of the century but it, that's not really too much what I'm talking about. There, there's multiple points to this story, and it begins off with the pay-per-view buys. And the, the fight is Mike Tyson versus Michael Spinks, and that sold 700,000 pay-per-view, I don't know what you call them, like views or whatever the fuck. Uh, they were $35 a piece, which is about $75 in 2018. So that is almost what you would pay for like the Mayweather fight these days. So that's pretty uh pretty standard the the fight was between an undefeated michael spinks and undefeated mike tyson and it would go on to make 25 million dollars roughly 54 million dollars in 2018 just in pay-per-view sales and up to this point this is the largest pay-per-view boxing event of in history in the history of television everyone needs to remember this is 1998 or 1988 rather so 700,000 buys is incredible because not every household had cable. And just for comparison's sake, the highest pay-per-view ever for the WWE, because I know a lot of people associate wrestling with pay-per-view, was in 2012 for WrestleMania 28, and that sold 1.2 million buys. All right, And that was 24 years later where everybody and their mother had cable. Jeez. And uh, WWF at the time, they didn't even top 700,000 buys until 1989 when they did WrestleMania 5, which, of course, was, was that where the Mega Powers fought? What, what do you mean, fought against each other? Yeah. Yeah. Because before that, you know, two months after the... They were together. The Brother Love thing, that's where they were uh, at SummerSlam. Right, and that's how they... And we missed that. Is that kind of fucking of year, course, man. That's, that's what always happens. But uh, aside from, like, the gaudy numbers of the pay-per-view, the fight did still take place, obviously. You had a fight between... Two undefeated fighters, like I said earlier. Yeah, a 21-year-old Mike Tyson, who was the WBC, WBA, the IBF heavyweight champion, versus the more experienced and also undefeated gold medal boxer, Michael Spinks, who was also the ring and the lineal champion. And the, it was it was billed as the fight of the century at the time, and they billed it as a once-and-for-all fight that would decide who the actual real champ was because even though uh, Mike Tyson was like larger than life at the time, if you looked at who he fought, he did fight a lot of tomato cans at one point. So the negotiations for this fight took a long time and when it was all said and done. Mike Tyson knocked the fuck out of Spinks in 91 seconds in the first round. And of course he won and he won the other two uh, belts, which aren't really huge belts being the ring and the lineal championship. But 
I, I'm not so sure how often this is discussed, and this might be the the biggest portion of this whole thing. It's the truth, and maybe we're breaking it here on the Poop Culture Podcast because I don't know how many people talk about this, but this is Tyson's last big win of his career. He went on to beat Frank Bruno and uh, Carl Truth Williams in the next two fights, who were basically tomato cans at this point. Mm. And then the next fight, who he was going to fight another tomato can, which was James Buster Douglas, who actually ended up, who was on the undercard of the fight that we just talked about, ends up knocking out Mike Tyson. And that was pretty much it for Tyson because then he went to jail and, Mm -hmm. you know, then he had the fights against Vander Holyfield and shit like that and lost them both, did his ear off. So there's a lot of things about this fight that made it really culturally relevant. And that's what I got for June of 1988. Um, For Helen Mirren, do you mind if I go first? I'm glad because I I was hoping I'd get to do this one because I couldn't really find much else (laughs) significant. Um, I noticed that on June 6th, 1998, the premiere of Sex in the City, which went on to become a huge cultural milestone or whatever, um, let me see, set and filmed in New York City, based on a 1997 book by the same name, um, the show follows the lives of a group of four women, three in their mid-30s and one in her 40s, who, despite their different natures and ever-changing sex lives, remain inseparable and confide confide in each other. It was starring uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kim Cattrall, Kristen Davis, and Cynthia Nixon. And um, yeah, it spawned two movies. Um, it, uh, it, it ran from 98 until 2004. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty big deal um, for a certain demographic, I guess. Not so much for me, but I definitely dated a few girls who loved this movie and, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's what I got. Bo looks well, I was going to go with that, yeah. but I mean, I, I, this whole time I was just thinking, like, isn't isn't Sex in the City just kind of like Dirty Golden Girls? Yeah. But not as good. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. except the Golden Girls are, yeah. are well-written. Uh, you like the actors yeah. performing the parts. Uh, it's funny, yeah. and I'd much rather have sex with any of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Living yeah. or right. dead. No questions. Be oh, Arthur. Tell me about it. Especially was. dead B. Arthur. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crack open a cold one, son. <laughs> just, just lie there. I'll do all the work. <laughs> She's got that fucking monotone voice. Oh, Michael. I always felt, yeah, I, Betty White was probably the uh, the hottest of that yeah. crew, and they always sold it as... Uh, Rue McClenahan. Yeah. What the yeah. hell? She I, actually yeah. went, what when she first went up for the role, she went up for the role that Rue McClenahan plays... Yeah, that, that was right? what she initially yeah. went up for, but they found her much funnier in like the ditzier mm-hmm. role. But she went up for the kind of um, sort of sexy, uh, you know, sluttish one. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's funny because she sort of tried to do the kind of old lady, but is happy to talk about sex kind of role sort of ever since really in all her other kind of sitcom stuff or film roles. And she's posed nude before. Yes, she has. Um, but, uh, I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not Bo's going to go into Googling. that right now because we've got a podcast to record. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd just be off. Yeah. I would just be off. Quite literally. Pictures of Helen Mirren right. and <laughs> Betty White all over the wall. Mm. <laughs> Helen Mirren's hot, man. She is. Now she I just have was. images of the two of them. Oh, just. Oh. <laughs> That's a sex scene. Oh. 
<laughs> All right. Yeah. Betty White now? Doesn't matter. Betty White doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I, think, uh, yeah. I think they both know what to do with their pearls, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> 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 All right, there there wasn't there wasn't really a lot else that debuted in June of 1998 that is mm-hmm. worth noting, but there are some shows that ended some some pretty decent runs in June of 1998, and those include Geraldo, which ended June 12th. Uh, also, ending June 26th, Step by Step, which was a uh, Suzanne Somers, Patrick Duffy as I remember that being a, a pretty Kickboxer. good show. Uh, and the most important show that ended. In June of 1998, on June 20th, Bill Nye, the science guy, said farewell. Oh. How did you not mention Sasha Mitchell? In all yeah, that? Kickboxer 2. Three and four. <laughs> yeah, come oh, on. Yeah, with the feet. <laughs> yeah. The best yeah, kickboxer. I, I believe in an episode Fuck. of Step by Step, he even kicked through a uh, soda machine. Mm. Well, who hasn't been there before, though, yeah, right? I don't know. That happens to me at least yeah. twice a year. Man, I beat the shit out of Fertopia machine one time. We watched Kickboxer 3. Where he, uh, I think he goes off to South yeah. America, and he's wearing a pair of Zubas, and I'm watching this with my, <laughs> with my wife, and he's chasing a little kid that stole his wallet, and he must not have been wearing underwear. This dude's dick must be like fucking twelve inches long, and though as he's running, all you see is his fucking pants just like going like this. And me and my wife are both like, I can't look at anything but that. Like, what mm, the fuck, man? Yeah. Get this it's dude a some underwear. Gives him a little more airflow. <laughs> it propels him forward with each thrust. Uh, All right. So you had the death of like three different shows. Uh, Geraldo, Bill Nye, the science guy, and Step by Step. Three cancellations equals one day. Ugh. I think. You know? Not a strong one by any means, but off to John. Cruz. All right, then uh, this one. Uh, it, it all depends on who you are as to whether this is tricky or not. Um, but I have to say, so looking at the 1988 first. Uh, while Brother Love is certainly a character uh, that came back and reoccurred and, in fact, just appeared recently at the, the um, was it 25th anniversary of Raw or whatever it was yep. um, that just happened, um, It I don't feel like that character is up there with a lot of the ones that just regular folks know whether you're into wrestling or not. Um, I, for example, The Undertaker to me seems a way more kind of famous character than, than Brother Love. Uh, and, uh, the boxing one, um, I just, I could never ever support anything Mike Tyson was involved in. I have no idea how Mike Tyson has gone through the life that he's had and come out the other side as this like motivational speaker who does cameos in hangover movies and everyone is perfectly <laughs> all right with when he's like a convicted violent rapist i'm like i don't understand mm. it. it completely baffles my brain as to how he gets away with that um however also forgetting my own personal politics involved in 1998 i feel like whether although i don't think anybody on the panel particularly um uh, thinks it's necessarily cultural significant for them I feel like Sex in the City, that is a huge, like, that is a huge pop culture moment, whether we like to admit it or not. Um, not a particular fan of the series. I, I genuinely find, even though it's about four women, that the, uh, uh, poli- the sex gender politics in it is 
awful. The two movies are horribly sexist and badly made. However, um, it is a huge cultural thing. People still say, uh, you know, uh, women around the office will still refer to each other as the names of the characters and talk about it. And da 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 da. It was just on um, TV the other day because I guess it's coming up. Either the anniversary has just happened or it's coming up on the anniversary. Um, so uh, it's still being talked about. So that's got to be a huge thing in its favor. Um, and uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, I feel like. You know, again, came back on Netflix, hugely cultural significance, especially in the internet age. It ties into the whole uh, global warming thing that was in the news and things. I think this is the round where I have to give the point to Helen Mirren's undergarments. Uh, so right, there, yeah. there is your first point of the, the, the day, guys. And uh, thank you so much for that right. historical lesson about television. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Carrie Bradshaw. I'll never say that. <laughs> that, is, that is a that is a victory point that I am ashamed of, but will take. Well, that's what I said. It's like a backhanded compliment, yeah. isn't it? I'll give it to you guys, but I'm giving it to you for a show that we all wish didn't exist or have the cultural significance that it does. <laughs> Bobby Heenan's pissed, man. <laughs> He's also dead. Yeah, well, he looks at us. <laughs> He's in my room right now. The brain's looking down on the poop culture podcast right now. <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> All right, you guys are uh you're taking this one. You're calling All right. Round. So we're going into round uh 4 here, so we're in the two-point rounds. So what were the what are the remaining categories? I'm sorry. Remind uh me. we have left music and movies. You mind if I hit music bowl or are you Go right ahead, my friend. All right. So, in um, June 30, 1998, um, the debut album from System of a Down came out. Um, I'm not particularly a huge fan, but this album has a, uh, a, a place in my heart. Um, uh, on our podcast, Dave and my podcast, The Selling Out Show, we talk about, um, about our wild younger years quite a bit, and... Um, System of a Down uh, factored in. Um, my band back in the 90s was able to um, go on tour opening for, um, talk about 90s, uh, Incubus and System of a Down, and we were the third act, you know, um, opening act on that tour. And uh, so at the time, System of a Down wasn't anybody yet. Um, they, they, um, they, the album hadn't even dropped yet when we went on tour with them, so it was kind of a an interesting show to see. I I, I kind of got sick of them after their first album, but um, but it was a a, a you know pretty um consequential release. It was um kind of an avant garde new metal sort of sound with operatic vocals, uh, strange time signature changes. There was a mix of like humor, anger, political frustration. Uh, blended in with the frenetic riffs and um, you know it, it was it was unique for the time um, they took that new metal sound that uh, that was a little kind of one note and uh, took that I don't know uh, ma made it a little interesting compared to some of the other acts that just sounded like corn ripoffs or um, in the in the Limp Biscuit time period uh, it was it was a little bit of a breath of fresh air um but um yeah so so that one like i said had a special place in my heart even though i'm not a big fan of the band um their guitarist particularly darren was a real 
asshole when we were touring with them. Um, cocky rock star attitude when they, they didn't even have a debut album at the time when we toured with them. But uh, but anyway, um, so that's what I'm going with, System of a Down. First debut self-titled album, June 30th. That's my story, and I'm sticking what, to what it. What did that have on it? Did that have spiders on it? Um, the first one had spiders. It had... Um, Sugar. That's my point. That's why was the, the only, other one. Only... Yeah, exactly. Sugar. Sugar. Thank you. That was big the other sugar. single. <laughs> yeah, the other single, Sugar, was the big one. Yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I don't think Spiders was on that one. I think Spiders was on the next one, but no, Sugar was Spiders the Spiders was, was on that one as well. Oh, it was. Okay. Thanks. Mm. All right. A little help from the judge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. New metal. All right. I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction of new metal. This is, I would say this is actually kind of relevant right now since you have Weezer topping the charts with a a Toto cover. Uh, June 1998, Jump, Jive, and Whale, a cover uh, from Louis Prima by the Brian Setzer Orchestra on their album, The Dirty Boogie. Uh, This song, if I remember correctly, was pretty ubiquitous for quite a while. It was, you couldn't go anywhere without somebody playing that or hearing it or talking about it. It actually got the the band a Grammy a year later in 1999 for, I think it was like a best pop with vocal or something like that. Interesting fun fact, in a Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation, I know Louis Prima's son, Louis Prima Jr., who whose uh, guitar player is my guitar player's brother. So there's like Whoa. like four degrees. Yeah. So I've hung out and eaten dinner with Louis Prima Jr. and all that fun stuff. Did some shots with him. It's better Prima Junior is better than Prima Donna, I suppose. Yes, always. Yeah. <laughs> I preferred Stray Cats to the Brian Setzer. Yeah. That album had uh, that album I had some prefer- some good stuff on it, I think, if I remember right. But we had some sure. honorable mentions from June of '98 too. Well, hold hold on to them. Hold on. Okay. Keep those for a tie, just in case. Oh damn it! But I want to blow yeah, the yeah. load now. Wait, we can do <laughs> a tie. Don't do it. <laughs> if if now if it's um like if it's too tough tough for you to pick, right? Then what we normally do is we'll drop like a lightning like, round. You know, people that were in the charts Got it. of that month that might not necessarily been released that month. But I was trying to push it, so I'm going to stop him. <laughs> Jury, strike that from the record. Coitus interruptus. So we have uh, System of a Down and the Brian Setzer Orchestra. Okay. Hey guys, Mark James here, and I wanted to talk to you about a problem that plagues us all. And that's stink dick. You know, nothing turns off your partner more than a condom that smells like sour rubber. Glide has eliminated the unpleasant odor with their clean formula, which is also non-toxic and certified vegan. So if the only meat she eats is yours, then you're in luck, my friend. Glide condoms are made for men and loved by women because they are non-toxic and do not cause irritation. The only thing you want roughing up your woman's poon is you. And guys, Glide condoms come in three sizes. Slim Fit Tight, Ultra Standard, which is made for most men, and Maxi, you know, that's for the unicorns. Wearing the right condom size matters when it comes to pleasure and performance for both partners. So check out Glide Condoms, that's G-L-Y-D-E, at GlideAmerica.com. Mike, you want to kick this off? All right. Uh, everybody that anybody that's a fan of hip hop knows that 1998 or 1988 is a pivotal year for for, for the genre, uh, and uh, the year as a whole is fucking insane. But June in particular, 
uh, you get an album that spent about 42 weeks on the Billboard 200 and produced tracks like Don't Believe the Hype, Bring the Noise, Night of the Living Bassheads, Rebel Without a Pause, and I'm talking about Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. This album is fucking incredible. It's perhaps one of the most important albums of the decade. Public Enemy, what's so incredible about them is they're not just a band. They're a fucking movement. They're a fucking t-shirt. They're in... uh, John Connor fucking wears it in Terminator 2. (laughs) They're a (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah. They're also a a hell of a performance uh, on that show with uh, Corky. Was it like one... one, Was it Life Life Goes Goes On? on? Yeah, he does a a great... uh, cover of a public enemy song you should go see it oh man i gotta look that up that it's is... on youtube it's phenomenal i remember the episode where he drew a map yeah not to mention you get you got chuck d and flavor Flav, who is perhaps the coolest fucking dude to really just say a couple words <laughs> yeah! yeah the ultimate hype but man. It, the fucking he's the best yeah. hype man that fucking clock is cool every now and then i just kind of want to wear i just mm-hmm. want to wear one it would weigh down on the neck a little yeah. bit I think after a while. Yeah. Be cool though to be like, you know, in the supermarket, like grabbing fucking apples and shit. <laughs> the big fucking clock. <laughs> you know, people come up to you. What time is it? Yeah. Tell them, I don't know. It's three o'clock, but don't believe the yeah, hype. Yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> the original Lil John. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him at an arena football game once. He was high as fuck. And my, uh, my buddy Pat's brother arrested him in New York City for being high on crack yeah, in the street. Wow. Man, look at all our celebrity encounters we got going on in this round. Yeah. This is great. Good, this is good shit. All right. So uh, that's a fucking amazing pick that Mike just dropped. Uh, I got to give Mike props for that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go with a band, and I threw the picture up there so you guys can see what they looked like. It's in the, uh, the Zoom chat there if you want to click on that, if you want to look at it. Uh, but this is a, an album that was released June 24th, 1988, called Power Metal. And that was by the band Pantera. And this album mm. right here, it, it isn't going to win any sales awards at all. But it's super influential in the heavy metal genre. And this is why. The band released three prior albums with a different lead singer. And that was Metal Magic, Projects in the Jungle, and I Am the Night. And all three of those albums were fucking glam rock albums. And that's mm-hmm. that picture that I just posted. These guys came out, teased hair, tights, makeup on. They were the whole glam package. But this is the album, Power Metal, where they feature Phil Anselmo on lead vocals for the first time. He makes his first mm-hmm. appearance. He replaced the original singer, Terry Glaze. Another really significant part of this album, the late, great guitarist Dimebag Daryl was going by the moniker of Diamond Daryl at the time mm-hmm. and switched that shit when they went full on metal. Uh, but, you know, believe it or not, this is a really important album, though. Pantera goes on to be one of the most popular, probably the most, well, in my opinion, one of the most influential heavy metal bands of all time, especially in the 90s. They hadn't decided, if they hadn't decided, like months before this album came out, that they were going to make this shift from glam to heavy metal there would be no Anselmo. And if there was no Anselmo, there would be no Cowboys from hell. And if there was no Cowboys from hell, honestly, Pantera would have probably faded out with warrant poison and the rest of the other glam bands of the eighties. That's what I got. I got Pantera power metal. 
I th- I think the the Diamond Daryl moniker uh, followed him up until it, I think through Vulgar Display of Power. I think he changed it around the uh, Far Beyond Driven time. Um, all right, all right. From from what I remember, um, yeah, he was Diamond Daryl when Diamond I started listening to them. Daryl. Yeah. Now is he related to Diamond Dave? Because he had a killer restaurant back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> and Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, yeah. Diamond uh, Brothers. They yeah. happen to all yeah. be from Texas. And uh, Dustin yeah. Diamond. <laughs> and Neil Diamond. Damn. Someone said Dustin Diamond. Related. That was my next joke. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's where we're at. So we got the public enemy, Pantera. Wow. Wow. Hard to beat, man. Those are some heavy hitters. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, this is, this is uh, I was about to say this is a difficult round. It's not really difficult at all. <laughs> Uh, sadly, from 1998, uh, the System of a Down debut, um, not really uh, big on my radar, I'm afraid. And, and I'm not sure yeah. whose radar. But, but, and, and then the other thing is a song that comes off the back of trying to capitalize on the swing boom uh, from the movie Swingers from 1996. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and the Louis Prima version is just better. Uh, and so, um, I, I've got to go 1988. I've got to go the mega powers. Uh, you know, you guys sold it. I don't really need to go into it again. Um, while I can't name, while I can't claim that any of the four albums or songs are ones that I necessarily listen to, I even as a very white middle class English, uh, gentleman such as myself, even I'm aware of uh, public enemy and their relevance and everything else also i like the fact that it ties in it's so weird how like the tv episodes the music the uh news stories and everything there's there's themes coming through uh and the whole sort of uh, public enemy against white supremacy and all that is sort of a theme running through the show so that's nice and neat as well um and in terms of pantera my uh old uh uh, college roommate Matt would never forgive me if I didn't uh, uh, at least say <laughs> yes to 1988. So, uh, Mega Powers win that one, guys. So sorry about that. But mm. 1998, what were you doing with music? Seriously, yeah. come on now. <laughs> Not much of a surprise. <laughs> yeah, they were phoning it in. 98 to music is going to be <laughs> tough. So, I, uh, I'll throw it out here now that uh, we did we won at this point because it's mm-hmm. four points to one. However, we're going to play mm-hmm. this sucker out because I'm, yeah. I'm curious because one of the things we do when we do these Duel of the Decades, we have a gentleman's agreement beforehand. The only people that know the dates are the teams that are involved, and we don't look at the other teams. I find it interesting to, to find out about the shit during the episode itself. So I don't know what movies you guys are going to throw out. I have some ideas uh, on late mm. 90s stuff, but I don't know where you're coming from, so it's, I just want to hear it. Also, I have to say, if you had me on as a judge and didn't do the movie round, <laughs> I'm like, that's that's the one thing I've been sat here waiting for. I mean, I have some other cultural touchstones, but I'm the movie guy. Do the movie round, goddammit. <laughs> All right. Bo, you want to Why, sure. Uh, the one that stood out the most to me from June, uh, June 5th, 1998, The Truman Show with Jim Carrey, which was mm-hmm. kind of, uh, for me, at that point, was kind of a mindfuck of a movie to watch. Um, you know, with the big reveal that he finally understands that he's essentially living in this bubble, more or less, and that his his entire life is a television show. That uh, I mean, that uh, that stuck with me for sure. That's that's always been. I, I'm not going to say it's one of my favorite films because I'm not a huge film buff guy, but I will always remember the premise of that film and just you know, as it takes you scene to scene, as you slowly see Jim Carrey unravel the the 
you know, the, the notion that he's part of something that he's not fully aware of. And as he continues to make that discovery and then, you know, when they, they open the door and they show the, the sound stage or whatever that it's filmed on, just uh, that, that always stuck with me. I thought that was a really cool movie and it, and it still is, obviously. You know, you, what's really relevant about that is that's us today. Right. That's fucking I was gonna exactly. say that. I was gonna is, say that. We're now all voluntarily it, doing yeah. it to ourselves right. on Snapchat. Exactly. And, and, and we don't right. know it. And we none of us fucking know it. You know, we're mm. that's what we're doing. And look at the proliferation mm-hmm. of reality TV. It's still going on. People are still watching it. It's still as fake as ever, you know. In nineteen ninety eight you had the real world and you had did when did uh Ozzy's show come on? That's the two thousand early thousands, maybe. Yeah. Early two thousand three. So really all you had was you know, real world at that point, mm-hmm. maybe road, road rules, road rules. And now it's fucking maybe. everywhere. You know, every, yeah. every channel for a, a while there for like a good 10 years, we had shit tons of reality TV because the writers right. couldn't fucking make anything to put on television. And I don't know what or you guys have anything. seen or what you watch. And I don't want to derail the whole thing, but uh, are you aware of a film called shock treatment from uh, 1981, which is sort of the unofficial sequel to Rocky horror picture show? Uh, yeah, I'm actually, um, oh. I got a copy behind me right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Shock right. treatment. It's, it's phenomenal. I actually really like it. I don't know that it's better than Rocky, but I really like it. Um, but mm. what's w- completely mind blowing about that is how not only does it predict reality TV, not only is it definitely like a proto Truman show, um, but it's about, like you said, it's about seven or eight years before that concept really exists. Um, so it just kind of sees the future. It's kind of mad if you haven't seen it. Track it down. I'll shut up now. <laughs> that's a good pick, though. Right. It's that's like Truman shows not a big numbers movie, probably, but I think as far as relevancy, I think it mm. definitely now. It's that's a good pick. Yeah, yeah, it's well respected. I I always loved that movie. Uh, I would I would definitely was that was a top contender for my pick. But um, but since you took that one, I will uh. I will go with um on June 19th, 1998, the first um movie of the X-Files was released. Um the film takes place between s- seasons 5 and 6 uh of the popular television series and uh, it's based upon the series' extraterrestrial mythology and um I wasn't a an extreme follower of the X-Files. I always respected it and enjoyed the episodes I saw, but um, I went into the movie um, figuring if I don't necessarily know exactly what's going on uh, chronologically in the movie, I'll at least drop some acid so I uh, can enjoy it. So I went to that movie and had a had my own wonderful experience watching it. That's but, a um, fucked up movie to take acid to. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was it was entertaining. I, I You didn't take acid to like fire in the sky, did you? Uh, no, I think that came I was a little young for acid at that point. I think I was only like thirteen when that came out. But uh um yeah. Um but the X Files movie was it was entertaining uh, for me, anyway, <laughs> at the time. But um, but it, you know, it it uh, had a box office take of one hundred eighty nine point two million. Um, it was one hundred twenty one minutes long. Trying to f- put in a few uh, stats here, a few specs. But um, yeah, f- uh, starring David Duchovny, Julian Anderson. Um, you know, playing their their uh, popular roles as uh, Fox Mulder and Dana Scully from the TV show. And um, yeah, like I said, I enjoyed it, but I was under the influence of 
a head full of acid. So <laughs> I haven't, I don't know if I've seen it since, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, so that's my pick. dude. I was so excited when this movie is, I was a huge X-Files fan. X-Files is one of those shows where the wheels fell off towards the end of the nineties, like the beginning right. of the nineties, the storylines are so much better. And it was almost like they were running out of stuff and they were fighting over contract dollars and, they brought in like Robert Patrick and David Duchovny mm. left for a little bit and it got all diluted. And then that movie came out and they tried to like save it with that movie. And the movie was solid. And if you, if you didn't watch anything else and you just watched the movie, you probably could get away with it. And yeah. I think that's a, that's another solid pick. I mean, that that's the, those are the type of movies I was thinking for 1998. They're nothing like crazy good, but good enough. I don't, John, what, right. what's your take on the movies in 98? Yeah, that's those two picks are solid picks. Um, I haven't gone through it, uh, 1998 month by month, but uh, yeah, they're they're two very solid picks. And like you say, the Truman Show is is still relevant, and technically the X Files is still relevant because the show just came back on Fox. Was it last year? Um, yeah, it was on this year, and they've yep. done they've done one this year as well, right? So um, yeah, so it, they're still kicking ass, still pop culturally relevant um i can't say that either of those movies i i put in uh too frequently um but they are you know so, solid picks um i'm going to while you guys do the 1988 talk up i'm going to just double check the other movies that came out um in 1998 just to see if there were other choices that i would have picked uh actually yeah, i'm 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 already you- seeing one <laughs> Um, do you guys have is it uh, june june 98 yeah. uh june 98 okay. i would argue um i would keep the truman show i think that's very relevant but june 98 i would argue that out of sight um the george clooney Ooh, jennifer lopez that was on my list steven soderbergh movie um although probably not as pop culturally relevant so i guess why you went for the x-files but as a movie mm. buff um out of sight uh, kind of re-kickstarted Clooney's career after he did From Dust Till Dawn, which everyone loved. Then he did a whole bunch of movies that nobody liked. Then he did Out of Sight again. And Out of Sight also kicks him off as a uh, a director and a producer and uh, makes Steven Soderbergh kind of pop-culturally relevant because up until then he'd kind of been doing indie movies. Um, it gives Jennifer Lopez the best performance of her career. Um, so that movie certainly as a movie fan i'm more likely to put out of sight in uh over the other two and some j-lo cyboob and some j-lo cyboob indeed um but i i can totally understand why you went for the two you did and of course you you forgot uh uh lorenzo lamas in uh kickboxer or back to even as it was also called so come on how did you how did you forget that cultural touchstone (laughs) because it didn't have sasha mitchell right exactly all right, Mike, do you want to you wanna kick it off? I don't, I don't know which one you went with. We had a solid month. All right, I'd like to take everybody back to a time, uh, June 1988, when uh, Eddie Murphy was still funny. Uh, and this <laughs> he came out with a movie called Coming to America, which was a huge comedy. Wow. Uh, probably the only reason people still give him a shot. <laughs> everybody fucking loves that movie. It's just the, the royal penis is clean. <laughs> <laughs> the same line I had in my head. It is. It really is. Or, I saw it. Yes, yes. Fuck you too. <laughs> See, so many. This lines week I'm me. on lettuce. Next week I'll be on fries, and that's when the <laughs> big bucks come in. Aha! Aha! Taste the soup. Let your soul Taste blow. The soup. 
Sexual chocolate. Sexual chocolate. Sexual chocolate. They got the Big oh Mac. We got the Big Mick. <laughs> Joe Lewis is 84 years old. <laughs> yeah, it's, I love that fucking movie. And that's one of the movies that you could watch a hundred times. And it's funny every time. And you can pick Great movie. Out. Great movie. Yeah. Love that movie. And there was a lot of other choices there that I thought were pretty, you know, classics. That may have been one of that may have been the first where Eddie Murphy was playing all those roles and uh and Arsenio as well before they started doing all the clumps yeah. and all that yep. stuff, you know. Great great pick. What did that what did that bring in? That brought Dude. in quite a bit. Uh, I think its total gross was uh 128 million, a little over that. That's a good haul for back then. That's domestic. Yeah, that's domestic too. Yeah, it's crazy, man. There's there's some pretty Big movies that come out the same month. Uh, let me, uh, I'll spit mine out, and then we'll uh, we'll read them to John, see what John would have picked here. Uh, of course, I got to go with this movie because there's no way that a movie with Robert Loja should ever <laughs> lose anything on the show. So that's why we're going to win this round. And that movie is big. A uh, movie that took in $152 million worldwide in 1988, $325 million in 2018. It's a huge fucking haul for a comedy. That said, I got to go with this movie, you know, aside from Robert Loja, it also cemented Tom Hanks is a major actor in Hollywood and, you know, big. It's it's just a massive fucking movie for those who have been living under a rock for the last 30 years. This is a story of what if what if you were a child that wakes up one day and you wake up as an adult because you talk to what was his name? Zoltar. Yeah. Zoltar. 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 Yeah. I'll tell you, he he did a pretty. did fucking pretty well for himself considering he went from 13 to 30 you know yeah. he got a job as a fucking executive at a toy yeah. company uh he becomes buds with loja uh he i'm assuming and i think everyone pretty much assumes that he had sex with elizabeth perkins oh, definitely. or at least felt yeah. her up definitely. you know you would never have that in a 2018 movie no it is pretty incredible. Yeah. He got that far, even though he was missing two numbers off his social security. Number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so true. It's so true. Wakes but... up in the morning with a man dick. <laughs> <laughs> and not on him. It was actually his own. <laughs> Severed man dick. That, that would make the movie a whole lot darker if he woke up as an adult <laughs> And he was holding a severed man dick. <laughs> like, that's how he became an adult. Like, he was like, wait, yeah. do all adults go around chopping other people's yeah. genitals off? And he becomes a serial killer. Have you not seen oh, Big no. Two? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what did you wish for, man? I wish it was the, the reason we bring up Loja so much and the reason I said it before, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. In our first 30 episodes, which I'm sure are horrible because the first 30 episodes of any podcast were a total piece sure. of shit. Hey, uh, watch your mouth. My first 30 episodes are <laughs> fucking amazing. Okay, All right. Yeah. Gold. Well, you believe what you want. <laughs> uh, at the end of every episode, whenever we had a guest come on, we would surprise them when our final question would be, what is your favorite <laughs> Robert Loja movie? And it was, in blood. it was amazing how we shocked most people. So John, this is a two-parter. I'm going to I'm going to ask you what your favorite Robert Loja movie is, and then after you're done with that, I'll read you the list of the top movies from June of 88 and let me know what you would have picked. Okay. Um well, I have a list up, so that's fine. We can do that. But the Robert Loja question, it's really difficult, man, because like you say the man is a legend. Uh, we've already mentioned over the top here. Uh what a film. What a film. Um for me it has to be Between Armed and Dangerous, the John Candy, Meg Ryan, Eugene Levy film and over the top over the top probably 
uh, peaks it because it features um, Sylvester Stallone just tearing oh. uh, the arms off jackets. Uh, he's just like, what are you doing <laughs> with that jacket with sleeves? How dare that jacket have sleeves? What are you, a <laughs> pussy? Come on. This is America. I'm going to tear the sleeves off that jacket and make you do uh, push-ups against the uh, front bumper of my truck. Uh, so that's it's, it's amazing. Over the Top is just just a phenomenal film. Um, but I would also uh, urge people, if they haven't seen it, to track down, the I think, a lesser-known candy vehicle, uh, but no, an, uh, no lesser a film for it, uh, and that is The uh, Wonderful Armed and Dangerous. But yeah, i got to go Over the Top, man. It's mm. probably a populist choice, but come on. How can we not? Uh, and then, uh, of course, you have Stallone driving into Loja's house, and you have Flip in the cap, and oh, it's just, it's so good. It's all good. It's a switch, man. It's a switch. Yes. All right, so June 88. What would you pick for June 88? Well, I mean, you know, this is what you find when you look at the 80s. I mean, just in June 88 alone, almost every, I'm looking through, there isn't really a bad movie amongst it. You've got Big Funny Farm, Big Business, Poltergeist 3. Okay, there's the bad movie. Poltergeist 3, yeah. The Presidio, which is, a, it's not a bad movie, but it's just one that didn't like, nobody watches it anymore. Um, Bull Durham, uh, The Great Outdoors, Red Heat. Come on, but the Belushi, oh, yeah. uh, the lesser known Belushi, but I'm a Jim Belushi fan. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to fight for Jim Belushi, uh, till the day he dies. Uh, but Belushi and Schwarzenegger, cocainum. It's amazing. Um, uh, you have a waxwork. Uh, which uh, is uh, a fun B-movie horror. And then to round out the month, a one-two punch of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Coming to America. Come on. Wow. Oh, what a what a weekend in the cinema that would be. Yeah, and not dudes. to mention dudes. Yeah, John Cryer. Yeah. Right? The thing about dudes, and I agree with everything you said, the fucking month, it, it was tough. I didn't, I wanted to pick Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but I was like, I love Big, so I got to pick that. Right. But, Dudes is one of those movies that I still think to this day, Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong. There's not a digital copy of Dudes out. Oh, no. Like there, a legal there is digital now. copy. There is oh, now. Is there? Yeah, I think I, I want to say Shout Factory put it out. I got to double check oh, that, but I, I follow them on my Instagram and I remember them posting something about it. Yeah, but it's hard to find, it's even if you want a VHS copy. You just gotta, you know, you could find it. You just got to pay for it. And that's the shitty part sometimes. Who the hell wants to pay $20 for a fucking VHS? Yeah, I do well, it, it just all the sucks time. because yeah, every every new format, as I'm sure you know, dude, but like every new format, we lose about fifty percent of the content. Um, I know that's why I'm sitting in a room full of junk right now. Uh, hey, I've, <laughs> I, there's a, there's a store near me that is um, that I've recently discovered that now sells VHS uh, for like fifty cents or a dollar or something like that, and I go in there about once every three months and just raid it and come out with ten VHS. Nice. Um, and I, I, I was a big collector back when VHS was VHS, um, and then obviously moved on to DVD and Blu-ray. But sometimes you find that stuff on VHS, and you're just like, man, I don't even know what this movie is. Uh, uh, I found this movie. It's not particularly great, but it's it's Adam West fighting demons from hell, and it's called Maxim Zul, uh, spelled X-U-L, uh, and he wears like a, a, a three-piece suit, carries a broadsword and a mace, and fights demons from hell. That I mean, that's, you know, you only find that shit that on VHS. That sounds fucking amazing. Sounds <laughs> yeah, it's badass. Um, I mean, it's one of those movies where... 
the pitch and the cover and the name are so much cooler than actually what happens when you watch the movie. But still, the fact that there's a movie out there called Maxim Zool that features Adam West finding de- fighting demons from hell, I'll take that over anything. Honorable yeah, mention. but when you go through ni- when you go through June 1998, I'm sorry, guys, uh, uh, it it doesn't even compare to June 1988, yeah. and that's the trouble. Um, where, but I will say that both your picks of the Truman Show and um, X Files at least have the benefit of being uh, still very culturally relevant. And if June 1988 wasn't so strong, then you guys would have had it. But uh, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, I've got to give it to the Mega Powers again on this one because yeah. I mean, Funny Farm is such a great movie. Yeah, it is. Uh, Bull Dome, Great Outdoors. Candy and Ackroyd. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Yeah, that's that's a, that's all right, John. I'll just go fuck myself. It's okay. <laughs> fuck you too. Yeah. Listen, you got given the nineties, so it's already a, a disadvantage. It yeah. really is because <sighs> the, yeah, the deck was the, stacked. The eighties is the... just like it's almost this. Almost would be a better thing if you were doing seventies and eighties, because especially when the movies are concerned, <laughs> because then you would have to kind of pick. Um, like popular culture and modern uh, uh, like sensibilities versus sort of genuinely kind of great cinema, um, you know, with with the sort of movie brats and the Scorsese and Spielberg and people like that kind of coming up. Um, whereas the '90s is just there's some amazing movies in the '90s. Don't get me wrong, but it's also a wash with garbage as well. Comedies are awful. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, the comedies just the don't 90s. stack up. The comedies are just fucking terrible, with the exception of you know Clerks and a couple other things, but. Right, right, right. No, yeah. with the exception of the indie ones, but I just did an episode of my show a while, uh, probably a few months back. But I, I, I wanted to make sure my theory was correct. But I had this theory that eighties comedies were great, obviously, and then nineties comedies were shit. And I picked, I think it was, I, a Happy Gilmore, the first Austin Powers, and uh what was the third one um oh ace ventura because i tried to think like they were three comedies that everyone loved in the 90s like everyone watched the hell out of them they made a ton of money they made each of their leading actors stars um and they they were huge and i but i seemingly remember that it was funny in the 90s but it's no longer funny and i i went back and watched all three movies and weirdly and i didn't expect this to happen but the only one that i still enjoyed and had any kind of jokes in it that held up was Austin Powers. The other two, I was just oh. like, I, I get it, but at the same time, like it just doesn't age well. Yeah, no, it's like a Nintendo 64 game. <laughs> right. Oh, well, no. GoldenEye on the N64 is amazing, yeah. and it's still the best James Bond game they've ever made. Absolutely amazing game. Unfortunately, does not look very good today. Oh, it looks like dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the, game, the, oh, the, the game gameplay itself? is still good. Oh, yeah, it's one of my top favorite games of all time. All right, another duel of the decades is down the dumper as we conclude another episode of the Poop Culture Podcast. A big thank you to Mike Ranger of the Video Rangers Podcast, Nate Gorzinski of Selling Out, and the Honorable John Cross for judging tonight's competition. Nate, how do folks find Selling Out? Um, well, you can go to Twitter, check out uh, the Selling Out at Selling Out Show, and you'll find links there. Of course, you can find us on the Poop Culture Network. Um, we are. A bi-weekly podcasts, um, and we, uh, yeah, we'll be our, we're only two episodes in so far, we're, um, the third one should be coming out soon, so, um, anyway, thanks for having me on, and, uh, I don't know. Outstanding. John, where do we find the After Movie Diner? 
Uh, well, you can literally type in the words After Movie Diner and uh, we should come up in Google, but it's AfterMovieDiner.com is the website. It's at After Movie Diner on Twitter. It's Facebook.com forward slash After Movie Diner. Literally, wherever you type in those three words, we should show up. It's a website, a film podcast. There's video reviews, movie reviews. We do interviews. We've got uh, loads of great interviews with loads of... Uh, cult b-movie legends um so please do check out aftermoviediner.com and mike ranger how do we get into your digital panties oh well you start first by unzipping my pants slowly <laughs> uh you can find type in uh, video rangers podcast you'll pretty much find us uh wherever uh you can get internet and uh yeah we uh make fun of uh, really bad movies from the mom and pop video rental store era all right fantastic with that on behalf of rick Mancrush, i am bo b craft in for mark james this week reminding you it's only love if she's down for a hot coulier what you just heard was a podcast okay. <laughs> 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 to www.poopculture.com